Please remain standing and pray with me. Holy Spirit, come now and anoint the preaching of your word, Lord. I pray that by your grace it would be effective among us so that the word of God, as we have heard it read, can be applied to our lives and individually lived out and made manifest in the world that the good news would not just be for our ears, but it would be in our hands and feet and upon our lips, Lord, as we, get, as we give ourselves to you day by day in holy living. And come now, Lord, open every heart. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Well, uh, I haven't been here to preach it, but I have every Sunday for the last four Sundays I've been preaching out of the book of the little letter of Colossians, and this morning we come to that passage, Colossians 3, uh, verses 5 through 17. We're actually going to back up a few verses from here, uh, time to time to get the context of this passage, but uh, we can't read that passage, that Colossians passage, Colossians 3, verses 5 through 17, uh, unless we hear it in the, in the context of the preceding week's the readings that we've heard in this church in the preceding weeks that have come before. Because each of those weeks, in each of those weeks, we have heard a reiteration at some point of the good news. Paul has throughout, there are all these little snippets, these one or two lines that are reiterations of the gospel narrative that happen over and over again throughout the book of Colossians, as in Colossians chapter 1, verse 19 and 20. For in him... That is in Jesus, for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile, to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, by making peace by the blood of the cross. That's a summation of the gospel. And then we come to this reading today. We just heard it. Put to death, put to death, mortify, therefore, what is earthly in you, Sexual immorality, these are very ethical statements. Put to death, therefore, what is in you, earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth, do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self, put off the old self with its practices. Now, brothers and sisters, here is the deal. The gospel has an inherent ethical dimension. It has an inherent ethical dimension. But the distortion of moralism, this distortion of moralism, this distortion of the gospel happens when you disconnect, listen, you disconnect the ethical ought, the things we ought to do, from the grace of the gospel. If all you have are the list of do's and don'ts, that's not good news. That's moralism. That's the law. Ethics in the Bible is based on, what, on who God has made. Okay, listen. Ethics in the Bible is based on who God has made us to be as new creations. It is the outflow of our new creation in Jesus Christ. So in order to apply the ethics, the morality we read about here, we have to begin with the good news. And I'm going to do that this morning. So to begin with, here is the good news. Our lives, our very being, our, our, our ontology, the, the, the very basis of who we are in reality, are transformed 
by the gospel and not by a list of rules. The gospel is what God has done for me, for you. The gospel is what God has done for us through Jesus Christ and not what you and I do to try to earn God's favor. That's not the gospel. So this is the gospel. God himself put on human flesh and came to us in Jesus of Nazareth. And during his earthly ministry, Jesus demonstrated God's inbreaking new creation, the kingdom, by healing the sick, delivering men and women from demonic forces that destroy our lives, by creating abundance in the face of creating abundance in the face of scarcity. That's the feeding of the 5,000. In the new creation, scarcity is not going to be uh, a problem. There won't be any empty uh, grocery store shelves in the new creation. It'll be loaves and fishes and probably pizza too and, and, and just enormous abundance. And then he preached God's love and favor to the poor, to those who were rejected and marginalized and on the fringes to those who thought they were too far gone to be loved by God. That's what Jesus came into the world doing. And then we took this Jesus, this good man, this innocent man, this man in whom all the fullness of the deity dwelt in bodily form, as it says in Colossians, and we said, you are not the Savior, you are not the God that we want. We'd rather be in charge ourselves, thank you very much. And so we used corrupt government and a corrupt legal system and a corrupt uh, religious establishment to falsely try, convict, and sentence him to death. And then we stripped him naked and whipped him until his flesh hung in strips from his back, and we nailed his tortured body to a piece of wood, to a gibbet, to a cross, and we hung him up to die. And as he hung there in agony, we mocked and jeered and scoffed at him as he gasped for breath and as the pour, blood poured from his wounds. We really hated this good, innocent man who had never done anything but love us and tell us the truth. We hated him. But what we didn't see, what we could not know, is that as we poured out all of our hatred and injustice and, and violence and evil on this good, innocent man, he did this last amazing act of love for people like me who do not deserve it. He accepted, this is what he did, he accepted all our sin and evil and hatred, and he took it upon himself. And what is more, he took all the punishment, the wrath of God, the wrath of God, the justice that God's law demanded, he took it upon himself, he took it all on him so that we would not have to bear it, and we didn't know. So when his few faithful friends buried him, we sealed up the grave and put soldiers around it and guarded it just to make sure he would stay there. But our hatred and our rejection could not overcome the love we tried to bury. The grave could not hold him, death could not defeat him. And on the third day, he came bursting out of the tomb, more truly alive than any human has ever been in the whole wide world. And 40 days later, he ascended to the right hand of the Father, and he rules and he reigns today. And he will come again soon to finally vanquish all evil, and his kingdom will have no end. 
that is the kerygma. That is the apostolic teaching. That is the gospel. That's, what's, that's what makes life worth living. And because of all of this, every barrier that you and I have erected between us and God, Jesus has destroyed on that old rugged cross. And not only that, every barrier that the enemy, every barricade that the enemy tries to put up, I think about him like the, you know, like the gates of hell, boarding up the gates of hell, piling up dressers and couches behind the gates of hell, trying to keep him out. All of the powers and principalities that were arrayed against us, the forces that were arrayed against us, Jesus has vanquished them through the cross. And then we hear just last week in the, in the reading from Colossians, uh, Colossians, when we were dead in our trespasses and sins and in the uncircumcision of our flesh, God made us alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled. Here's the two things that were against us. Canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He's taken it all away, nailing it to the cross. That's one of the things that was against us. And here's the parts, that, the powers and principalities, the forces of hell. And having disarmed the fallen powers and authorities, he made public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Or as Eugene Peterson puts it in the, uh, in the, in the message, he stripped them naked and marched them through, through the streets in shame. Stripped them naked. Marched them through the streets in shame. That's how he's done it. He's conquered those things. That's the gospel. And receiving this good news and placing our faith in Jesus Christ and being born again by the power of the Holy Spirit, washed in the waters of baptism, that's the only thing that saves us is the gospel. That's it. Nothing else. Can't add anything to it and can't take anything away from it. And so what does this list of, of sinful actions and attitudes that have to be renounced in Colossians 3 have to do with this gospel? Well, I'm glad you asked. <laughs> Here's the deal. You may have noticed that the gospel isn't a set of philosophical propositions. I just told you a story. The gospel is not a set of philosophical propositions. It is a story. And when we hear the gospel, you and I are literally invited to become a part of that story and to be defined by that story. Listen, every one of us in this room is going to be defined by some kind of story. Some story is going to claim to be the ultimate story in your life, and it is going to define your reality. It's going to tell you who you really are. If it's not the story of the gospel, it is ultimately a story of death. We heard that in the gospel lesson, didn't we? I'm going to tear down my barns. I'm going to build bigger barns. I'm going to be a bigger barn builder. I'm going to eat, drink, be merry. I'm going to say to my soul, so you have many things laid up for many years. Take it easy. That's a story. It's a story. That very night, God said to him, you fool. Your life's required of you. Now what's going to happen to all your stuff? All that stuff you've got in storage at the storage place. They're going to have to find bolt cutters and go in there and cut that daggone padlock off, and they'll give it to somebody else. That's how I would have told that story. Some of us are defined by a story of rejection and condemnation. No one could ever really love me for who I am, especially if they knew the real me. Some of us are defined by a story of social class and success and achievement and attending consumerism. Some of us are defined by a story of family 
or ethnicity. Some of us are defined by a story of a sense of alienation with our own bodies. Some of us are defined by a story of grievance and resentment. And if you are in one of the professions, the temptation for us is, a, is to be defined by that profession. Law will define you. Medicine will define you. The academy will define you. There's a story you have been indoctrinated to to become a professional, and that's what professions do, and that's what you have to resist. But when we come to faith in Jesus Christ, we, in the spirit, literally die to the old stories that define us, and we are given a new story that has been hidden, protected, kept safe in the life of God. To accept Jesus Christ, to be born again, is to be defined by a different story that dismantles, just takes apart every other story. And so right before the reading we heard this morning, back in verse 1 of chapter 3 of Colossians, Paul says, Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on, that are on earth. For you have died. Paul said you've died. And your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. So to accept Christ, to be born again, is to be defined by a different story that dismantles every other story. Christ is all in all. And so we hear these words from the reading today. Do not lie to one another. Here, this is the important part I want you to hear. Do not lie to one another. Okay, don't do that. Don't, that's the ethical command. That's the ethical imperative. Why? Seeing that you have put off the old self. That's not who you are. That's not your story. You put off the old self with its practices. And you put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. So I have a new story, and it's the story of me being renewed into the image of the creator in the image, and by the way, Paul's very clear to make sure that all things were created by him and for him in Colossians chapter 1. Jesus is linked with creation. We're created to be like our creator, to be made like Christ. And so he goes on to say this. He says, look, uh, there's no, there, here there is not Greek and Jew. What is he talking about? Your Greek story does not define you. Your Jewish story does not define you. Your circumcised or uncircumcised story, your barbarian story, your Scythian slave or free story, they don't define you. Christ defines you. He is all and is in all. Now, here's where the rubber hits the road in Colossians 3, verse 1. Paul begins by saying, since you have been raised in Christ. What is he talking about here? Well, take a look back at Colossians chapter 2, verse 12. I know I'm giving you references. If you're following along, you flip along there or you can go back and listen to it again on the podcast. Colossians 2 verse 12. In that verse, the apostle is referring to coming to genuine, life-transforming, saving faith in Jesus Christ and about baptism as the effectual sign of the new birth. So we, this is Colossians 2 12. We are buried with him, with Jesus in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through, the, through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. Here's what Paul is saying. By placing my faith in Jesus Christ, by placing your faith in Jesus Christ, you and I become identified with Jesus to the point that his story, the gospel, becomes our story. L please listen, this is important. That's 
That's why we act out baptism. We are literally enacting the story of Jesus' burial, resurrection. Burial and resurrection. So just as Jesus was put to death and was buried, and we are made a part of that story, when we're plunged under the water of baptisms, we're buried with Christ in baptism, we die in baptism. Yes, even those cute little babies, we bring them up here and take their clothes off and put them naked in the font. They're dying in baptism, and then we raise them up out of the water of baptism, and they're united to Christ's resurrection victory. So here's the deal. Because of baptism, because we are so united to Christ in God's work of the new birth in our lives, you know that thing we did back on Easter, that celebration of Easter back earlier this year? That's not just about Jesus. Easter is not just about Jesus. It's your personal story, too. It's my, that victorious celebration where we shout and ring bells and play trombones and do all kinds of things we don't usually do on a Sunday morning. That's your personal story. And so in chapter 3, Paul wraps up that identity talk and he takes us to the next level, the next part of the story. Uh, seek the things that are above, Christ's ascension. In his ascension, Jesus is now, right in this moment, reigning as King of kings and Lord of lords at the Father's right hand in glory. We are united to Christ Jesus in his ascension so that when Paul says we are to seek the things that are above, it means to seek, to live under the rule and reign of Jesus Christ. It's that seek ye first the kingdom stuff. Now, let me see if I can kind of pull all that together, because that's very conceptual, and there's a lot of abstract you know, talk there and not a lot of illustrative material. But let me see if I can wrap this up by applying this story to our lives a little bit anyway. Back in September of 1966, 56 years ago in September, right after my birthday in September of that year, the greatest television show of the 1960s aired on NBC TV. Star Trek. That's right. The, ne the original series. They didn't know it was the original series then. They didn't realize they could milk all that money out of that show. For decades. But that show, that was, that was such a cool show. And just a few years later, when I was in the fourth grade, Star Trek entered into syndication, and I watched it religiously. I was so captivated by that, that story of space exploration and the characters that that show introduced. And, and I wasn't the only one. My best friend, Jeff, uh, Jeff Aiken, he loved the show. And so we did what all eight-year-old boys naturally do. We started to play Star Trek every day at school during, during recess. This sounds very nerdy, doesn't it? That's okay. Judge me. I don't care. I'm securing myself. And by the way, I was always Spock, and Jeff was always Kirk. Uh, you, you could say that I put on Spock. I put on Spock when we played Star Trek. I tried to be logical like Spock. I tried to talk like Spock. I used the Vulcan nerve pinch like Spock. I did the Vulcan mind meld like Spock. And incidentally, there was a little red-headed girl that played Star Trek with us. Now, she did not know she was playing with us. But that did not keep us from including her, so much to her irritation, we designated her to be whatever Klingon or monster who was the adversary that day. 
And I enjoyed playing Star Trek with that little red-headed girl so much that I decided to marry her. <laughs> and we still watch Star Trek together. It was my self-appointed duty when we played Star Trek to keep our play as consistent with the show as possible. I made sure that Kirk and Spock were acting appropriately and in character. Uh, I was, I was the, I was the uh, police when it came to that. And you had to call stuff by its right name. You couldn't call communicators radios. No, they were substate, subspace communication devices. We all know that's true. Now, Johnny Falp, who was another friend of ours, wanted to play, he was not a Star Trek fan. He was a speed racer fan. And so uh, Johnny wanted to play with us, but he wanted, you wanted to meld speed racer with Star Trek. You cannot meld the powerful Mach 5 with the USS Enterprise. It just does not work. You can't blend those two things together. And strangely enough, that brings us to Colossians chapter 3. <laughs> the gospel is the true story of the whole world. God invites us to be captivated and entranced by this beautiful story. It's the only true story you and I can ever become a part of. Every other story is ultimately untrue. In this passage, Paul is saying that you cannot play Star Trek and Speed Racer at the same time. <laughs> Sexual immorality, impurity, evil desire, covetousness, malice, hateful talk, that's not a part of our story. Those are the old patterns of life that mirror a different story. And just as beginning in the, Jesus, in, the, in, in the Jesus story puts us under the power of God, other stories ultimately will put us under the power of false gods. We call that idolatry. And now for the rest of our lives and into eternity, we are invited to play this story out. We, it's just like I put on Spock and Jeff put on Kirk. We are putting on Christ. That's what it says in Colossians. The Holy Spirit is the prompter and the encourager, the prompter and the encourager who empowers us and directs us to what it means to really play out this story, to stay in character and to be consistent. Just as Jeff and I were inspired to play out our story by getting our weekly installment of Star Trek on syndication after school, sitting there in front of that television, we too have to come back week by week to this story that's getting played out right here at this table. It's the only true life-giving story. It's the gospel. We live it every Sunday. So don't try to mix Speed Racer with Star Trek. Those, those things, the sexual immorality, impurity, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry, those things don't belong to us. Anger, malice, slander. Those things don't belong to us. That was a different story. Put on Christ. Set your mind on things that are above. And in the power of the Holy Spirit, we'll live the most beautiful story ever told. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.